Good morning, First City. Uh, it is fun to be with you. I know this is an unusual way to gather. Uh, several weeks ago when we decided to plan this or more like kind of jokingly threw it out there as an idea and then slowly decided, hey, this actually might be a good idea. Let's try this. And then we decided to do it, had to postpone it for a week, but here we are. So it's good to be with you guys, even though I'm just staring at a bunch of car windshields and minivans. Yes. Hey, also, I love all this amen and through the honking. When we get back together again, I want to hear this much amen during preaching. I mean, where, where has this been the past four years? This is good. This is great. Uh, if this is your first time with us, uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, whatever else may happen this morning, you're never going to forget your first time at First City Church ever. Uh, hopefully, prayerfully, at some point, we'll be able to gather together again and we get to, to greet you face to face. But we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're joining us this morning. Uh, here's what we want you to know about First City Church. Uh, our heart for you is that you would know Jesus. So whether you're someone who's confident in your faith and you're following Christ, or whether you're someone who's unsure of what you believe and you're trying to figure that out, and maybe right now in this, this particular time, uh, you have a lot of questions or maybe you're skeptical of the whole thing and you're here because you just wanted to get out of the house. Hey, welcome. We're glad you're here. And if there's any way that we can answer questions for you, whether about First City Church in particular or just about who God is, about the Bible, about the gospel, uh, please let us know. If you're on our website, if you're on the, the liturgy uh, page, if you scroll all the way to the bottom, there's a button that says Get Connected. If you click that button, there's a form you can fill out whether you want to get connected to First City Church or you just want to reach out and say, hey, I'd love to talk to, to someone. Um, if you need prayer, if there's any way we can serve you practically, uh, please let us know. We're here. Uh, even in this time of social distancing, we want to be uh, present to be able to serve you and pray for you, uh, engage you in any way that we can. So before we jump into our pastor this morning, uh, I just want to spend a little bit of time praying for us. Uh, obviously, some difficult times, unusual times, uncertain times. Uh, and over the next weeks and months, we don't know how it's going to go. And so uh, in some ways, uh, this could get uh, long and it could be weary. And so we want to just continue to pray for God's grace and God's strength and God's wisdom this time. So we join me in prayer. Father, thank you for just the opportunity to gather. Uh, yes, this is unusual. Yes, this is uh, less than ideal, but we're together. <laughs> we're in the same space. And so that's a reason to rejoice. It's a, it's a reason to uh, just praise you uh, through the common grace of technology and radio stations and cars and a parking lot and a, and a mall that would allow us to gather and just all the, the ways that this came together, a beautiful morning with sunshine. Uh, so we just thank you, Father, for this moment of reprieve, uh, this moment to make a memory, uh, and just to celebrate uh, as a church the opportunity to be together. Uh, Father, as we engage this morning, I pray that your word would refresh in our hearts because we need to be refreshed. Uh, you would encourage us because we need to be encouraged. Strengthen us because we need to be strengthened. Uh, Father, the days are weary in, in, in many ways. Uh, and in the, the weeks and months ahead, we don't know what's going to happen. And this upheaval and uncertainty could be cycling through and a lot of change could be coming. We don't know what to expect, Father. We trust because we know you do, that you are good, you are sovereign. None of this is surprising you. You are in control. And so we want to rest in you. We want to rest in your goodness and in your power. So just this morning, Father, 
Would you make us aware of that? Even from inside our cars, uh, may, may we sense your presence. May, may we be aware of your power. Uh, may we be refreshed. May areas where we need to confess sin and just be honest about the way that this situation is exposing our sin. We, we do that because we know there's grace. Uh, may, may we find joy in you this morning. May we celebrate the power that was displayed in Christ. Uh, we thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So at First City, we believe that all of Scripture is inspired. All of Scripture is authoritative. But of the 1,189 individual chapters in the Bible, Romans 8 is often considered the pinnacle of Scripture, the pinnacle chapter in all of the Old Testament and New Testament combined. And the reason this is, is because in some ways, Romans 8 captures beautifully and powerfully and uniquely the essence of the gospel and the Christian life. It speaks of our salvation in Christ and our union with Christ, our identity as children of God, our walking by the power of the Spirit, our putting to death sin, our living with the hope of Christ's return in the midst of our pain and our suffering, and being sustained through the trials and through the suffering by the unbreakable power of the love of God. It's no wonder that Romans 8 has been called the inner sanctuary within the cathedral of Christian faith, the tree of life in the midst of the Garden of Eden, the highest peak in a range of mountains. It is a chapter that can speak to us whether we're living in the midst of pandemic or whether we're just living normal life. Romans 8 has much to say to us. And while we need its truth, no matter our circumstances, I think they have particular relevance for us right now in our world that has been upended by this pandemic. This world that's full of uncertainty and difficulty. Life as we know it, life as we knew it, has changed. Like our usual routines, our activities, the usual comfort and security has largely been altered and even for some completely ripped away. Control, which we so often extend and try to, we exercise so much energy to try to keep hold of, that control has been ripped from our hands. And death, which we do such a good job of avoiding and denying and distracting ourselves from, is now up close and personal. We're coming face to face with our limitations and our mortality. And we're finding in some ways the things that we value and we put our hope and our identity in are too often shallow and superficial. But at the same time, we also run the danger of this, of seeing COVID-19 and this pandemic as all powerful and as the sovereign force in our world. It's funny, the way you listen to some people talk as if COVID-19 has its own mind, as if it has reason, as if it is a thing other than a virus. And so we yield all of our power, or we give it power by yielding all our time and even our money and our mental energy and our emotional energy in trying to navigate it. All of our time and our energy and our money is spent and is really dictated by the reality of this virus. It's almost as if we're at the point of saying, have mercy on us, COVID-19, for we are your humble servants. This is the way we can treat this pandemic in these circumstances. 
unique in so many ways as this time. But here's what we need to remember. No matter how difficult and uncertain these times are, no matter how challenging, no matter what's going on in your soul during this time, your greatest need, my greatest need is to be rescued and redeemed and transformed by Jesus Christ. We need to have our hearts and our minds submitted to Christ and oriented to Jesus because the good news for us this morning, the good news from Romans 8, the good news in the midst of pandemic or whatever other circumstances you're facing, the hope that we have is that there is redemption in Christ. There is rescue in Christ. There is transformation in Christ. There is joy and strength to endure any trial in Jesus. Romans 8 speaks a truer word than any virus or any sin or any suffering you and I could face. That's why we need this word this morning. That's why we need the truths of Romans 8. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to just walk through the first two verses and remind us of a central truth. Right here at the beginning, Romans 8, 1 and 2 speak powerful grace and truth to us, reorienting our hearts and our minds, giving us great hope, speaking of the power of the gospel. Here's what verses 1 and 2 tell us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. To be condemned is to stand guilty, to stand under a sentence of judgment. And here's what's funny about our culture. Condemnation is something both that we we like to push back on and stiff arm, but it's also something that we love to execute. I mean, we think about the ways that in our pride, in our selfishness, we don't like being told what to do. We don't like to be told that we're guilty. We don't like anyone to come along and say, hey, you've actually crossed a moral boundary. You're in sin. And because of your sin, you stand under the righteous judgment of God. We don't want to hear that. We don't want anybody to tell us we can't choose to live our lives the way we want to. And so a message of judgment, a message of challenge, a message of condemnation is something we'll stiff arm very quickly. But at the same time, it's something we run to and we love. Our cancel culture loves condemnation. Our cancel culture loves to throw condemnation on people who aren't like us, people who think differently than we do or live differently than we do. People, when they say something we don't like or do something we don't like, boom, let's go after them. Let's destroy their career. Let's destroy their reputations. Cancel culture is all around us. And we see in the news regularly the devastating effects So so let's not pretend as if condemnation isn't something that we can at times gravitate towards and use for our own purposes. But here's the sad reality of cancel culture. There's no hope for redemption. Within cancel culture, there is only condemnation. There is only judgment. There is only, you will pay the price for the sin you've committed. Look, apologies won't cut it. If, If you watch this kind of dynamic happen, it seems that people who apologize actually get more condemnation. It's as if they open up a door for others to come and try to destroy their careers and reputation. Look, society is going to have its pound of flesh regardless. This is the reality of condemnation. But the gospel speaks a better word. 
The gospel speaks a better word than our culture ever could. It gives us a greater hope. It offers true and lasting and needed redemption for us. And God wants to shine the light of the gospel clearly in this time, in this midst of pandemic and the the effect that it is having on us emotionally and psychologically and circumstantially. God wants the gospel to shine brightly and speak a truer word to you. Because look, we do stand under condemnation apart from Christ. We deserve judgment. We have sinned. We have broken God's law. We have violated what is good and what is true and what is beautiful. And why is that? Why do we stand under guilt and condemnation? Well, as Romans, or as as, uh, verse two tells us here, it's because of the law of sin. What, What Romans two, verse eight, verse two calls the law of sin. Now, the word law can mean a couple things. One, it can mean rules. We understand that. There's different rules. Like when you drove here, you, sh- you, you, know, you don't speed. You stop at red lights. You don't go under the speed limit in the left lane. That isn't a law, but it should be. So if you do that, you all need to be, yes, exactly. Amen to that. <laughs> so we, we recognize laws. We recognize rules. But law can also be used to describe a power, a, a authority, uh, like the law of gravity, the law of thermodynamics. These are realities. These are truths. These are laws because they're of power or a force we cannot escape. We all have to submit to, we all have to bend to. It, it controls our lives. And so that's the way the apostle Paul is using the word law here. That sin, there is a law of sin. We are all born and live under its power. It's a power that controls us. It's a power that is our master apart from the grace of God. We can no more escape the law of gravity on our own than we can escape the law, or excuse me, escape the law of sin on our own than we can escape the law of gravity on our own. If I were to jump off face first this platform and try to fly, that would be a rude awakening. That would hurt because the law of gravity is more powerful than any effort that I can put forth to try to fly on my own. And that's how it is with the law of sin. We're under its control apart from God. Apart from the grace of God, we are going to be shaped by, we are going to be formed by, and we're going to be controlled by the law of sin. The law of sin also speaks to the reality of the ways that we have been hurt and scarred by sin. People have sinned against us and we have been damaged by that. But it also speaks to the ways that we have sinned against others. And we have hurt and damaged others and scarred others. This is a reality of our world. And we don't have to look far to see this both outside of us and inside of us. And here's another reason why this is the law. Because apart from the grace of God, we not only can't escape, we don't want to escape. Apart from the grace of God, we live by this law of sin because we enjoy it. We we give ourselves over to it because we want to live how we want to live. We want to just define good and evil on our own. But we don't want anybody to define our truth, our reality, our identity for us. Rather, we're going to make those decisions. And God, you can just stay away and not tell me anything that I need to hear. Rather, I'm going to live according to my own rules. This is the nature of our heart. This is the law of sin. We're shaped in pride and selfishness with the desire to define our own sense of good and evil. And here's what things like trial and pandemic 
difficulties, suffering tend to do. They have a way of turning up the volume to 11, really intensifying sin and selfishness and pride. Yeah, a lot of good comes out of trial. A lot of good comes out of people respond in some really good and beautiful ways. But trial also exposes what's always been. It sort of pulls back the veil and shows what's in our hearts. And, and, and here's the thing that we, we see. Like the selfishness and the pride that come out in times like this, like that's always been there. Like when we go back to normal life, whenever that happens, what's going to be on the other side? Sin, selfishness, pride, greed, ongoing issues of racism, a society politically divided with hatred, sexism, abuse, corruption, greed. I mean, all of these things are still going to be present. But what this time has a way of doing is grabbing our attention. Things we might not have paid attention to before, now we're aware. Now we're more sensitive. And hopefully not only just sensitive to what's going on in the world, but sensitive to what's going on in your own soul. Here's what else has our attention. Not just the law of sin, but the law of death. Like like the law of sin, the law of death is an inescapable power we live under. Like from the moment you are born, yes, you grow and you develop, but from the moment you're born, you're headed on a trajectory toward death. You are dying. Whether you are in perfect health this morning in your car or whether you're battling illness, here's the truth of all of us here. We're dying. And unless we're part of the people that are present when Christ returns, we're all going to die. And it is a reality that is up front in our face in some unique and important ways right now. Because here's what we do. We so often try to deny it, escape from it, distract ourselves from it. Whether it be through diet and exercise, medicine, whether it be through surgery, whether it be through science, whatever it may be, humanity has always had this wrestle and this battle with death. And we've always tried to outrun it or delay it. But guess what? Death is undefeated, except for one time. And so when we're facing, when we're facing a situation where death is up close and personal, I hope it causes us to ask questions. I hope it causes us to recognize that our attempts to distract and push it away, maybe you're, you, you do that through entertainment and pleasure. You don't want to think about anything dark, anything painful. All of those attempts are coming, to come, are coming crashing down and seem even shallow and hollow right now. And so we're left asking the question, what, what do I do with death? Why death? What's, what's happening here? Another way that we can respond to death, especially in the face of pandemic, is we can get really, really afraid of it. We, we, instead of trying to avoid it through pleasure, we avoid it through anxious activity. I need to control my environment. I need to barricade myself in such a way. I need to control all of my time and my emotional energy and all my resources so death cannot even get close to me. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be wise. Social distancing is wise. But there is a point where it so overtakes us, where death seems the most powerful force in the world and there's nothing we can do about it. And so my best bet is just to grab hold and try to avoid it with all that I am. So the law of sin and the law of death, the Apostle Paul holds right up next to each other. Why? Because they're connected. 
when God made the world, he didn't include death. Death came after we sinned. Death was the judgment on our sin. God said, hey, if you break the command, there will be death that comes. And so our death reminds us of this. We're sinners. We're under the judgment of God. That that our death is just, that we deserve it. And so the question for us this morning, what, what God's word calls us to reflect on this morning is the law in, of sin and death. Are you aware of them? Are you aware of them? Are you aware of how they're present in your own life, in your own world? Are you aware of their power? And then here's the other question for us. Are you overwhelmed by them? Do you feel trapped by them? Do you feel that they are the greatest force in the world and there's nothing you can do to escape? Do you come here this morning aware of your sin? Maybe being cooped up with your family these past six weeks has really revealed some things in your heart that you just wish no one knew. That that spending that much time in that close proximity to people, man, the ugly is coming out. Maybe the loss of comfort and control and security has really exposed the sins of selfishness and pride in you. Maybe you've been burying some guilt for a while and life being upended is bringing that out. Look, look, whatever the case may be, here's what I can confidently tell you this morning, that God is exposing your sin and guilt not to cancel you, but to call you to repentance and faith. He's exposing your sin to call you to Christ, to true salvation, while there is, where there is no condemnation, where you are set free from the law of sin, that you may live to righteousness, that you may have joy and peace and freedom. That's why God exposes your sin. That's why he upends your world. That's why he's putting it right up in your face so he can set you free. Has this pandemic pulled back the veil of distraction and denial and caused you to come to grips with your mortality? Did you come this morning fearing death? Is avoiding death the thing that most occupies your mind and emotions and time and resources? Friend, God is opening your eyes not to leave you in fear of death, but to show you the hope that is in Christ. In Christ, death is no longer an enemy to be feared, but a passage to something greater. Here's what George Herbert says. Death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him just a gardener. For those in Christ, bodies that death puts in the ground will rise up restored and renewed, never to be touched by death again. The law of death, the sting of death, the fear of death, the power of death have been destroyed by Jesus. This is what Romans 8 tells us. This is the greater truth, not COVID-19, not your sin, not your suffering, not your trial, but the victory that is in Jesus, the hope that is in Jesus. And we experience this hope, this power, this transformation by being in Christ, as verses one and two tell us. Two times here, it talks about being no condemnation in Christ, being set free from the law of sin and death in Christ. Over and over, the New Testament talks about those who belong to Christ as being in Christ. So what does that mean to be in Christ? Here's what it means. It means that 
all that Christ has accomplished in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, he now shares with you. It means that all that we are now, our life, our identity, our meaning and purpose, the power by which we live are found in him. Christ in us, in us in Christ. All that he accomplished in his life and death and resurrection, he shares with you. Jesus Christ who steps from heaven and becomes a man and lives in our world of brokenness and sin. And he loves us perfectly. He is righteous. He is holy. He is good. He obeys God's law perfectly. It's beautiful the way that Jesus lives his life. And here's the good news for you. That righteousness that he accomplished, that he lived that perfect life, not guilty, he gives to you. That righteousness that he accomplished, he gives to you if you are in Christ so that when you stand before God, God sees you not in your sin, but in Christ as righteous, as if you had never sinned, godly, holy, beautiful, whole. That is what it means to be in Christ. The death that Jesus died. Jesus is condemned in our place. He takes our condemnation. He takes the penalty of sin that you and I deserved, that you and I should have experienced. And he dies that death for us. And here's what he does. When he dies, he takes your sin and my sin into the grave and he leaves it there. And so in the death of Christ, what this means is you have died to the power of sin. It no longer has control over you. The law of sin is broken in the death of Christ. And then the beauty of Jesus in rising from the dead, resurrected, victorious over, over sin and death and hell. It says in Romans 6, just a few chapters earlier, just as Christ was raised to new life, so are we raised to new life, empowered by the Spirit, set free from sin and able to live righteously. And the great hope is that one day when Christ returns, because he was resurrected, we will be resurrected to new life, to new bodies, never again to struggle with sin, never again to struggle with sickness and chronic illness and things like cancer and viruses. Oh, what a, what a day, church. What a day that is going to be when Jesus returns and we experience the fullness of resurrection life. But this is what it means to be in Christ. All of those realities, all those things that Jesus accomplished, he shares with you, his life in you, his power in you. And here's what this also means. To be in Christ means you have a permanent change of location, a permanent change in your identity. It means no matter where you go, no matter your circumstances, the greatest reality is you are located in Christ. You are a citizen of heaven. You belong to Christ. Now, those of you in the military, you recognize and understand what this is like. You're, you're a citizen of the United States, but you're often shipped overseas. You spend time in a different country. You're not a part of that country, but you have to live by certain customs and there's a certain rhythm to living in a different place. But what most defines you, what most dictates how you live your life is the fact that you are a citizen of this country. You are part of the United States military. And this is how it is for us when we are in Christ. Our location has been permanently changed. Our address is not just Bellevue or Papillion or Omaha. It's ultimately in Christ. And so no matter your circumstances, look, this virus, this pandemic, maybe 
your circumstances haven't been un- upended that much and, and largely life's pretty good. Okay, awesome, amen. Maybe you're suffering and this has just pulled open a ton of pain and it's difficult. Maybe it was difficult before, but look, what's more true regardless is you are in Christ. You're not in a pandemic ultimately. You're not in suffering ultimately. While those things are true, ultimately, the truest reality, the truest truth is you are in Christ. And here's what this means for you. If you are in Christ, that means you're not in sin. Yes, we still struggle with sin, but listen to me. If you are in Christ, you're not in sin. If you are in Christ, that means you have the power of the Spirit. That means you have victory. That that means that you can walk in righteousness. And that means that if you do sin, one, there's no condemnation for you because you're in Christ. But two, you can experience grace and forgiveness and renewal. Church, we need to see ourselves in Christ above everything else. We can't let our circumstances, no matter how challenging and how painful, be the thing that shapes our mind and our emotions, be the thing that most defines who we are. We need to see ourselves in Christ so we can walk through our circumstances, walk through those things with faith and humility and victory. Christ carries us through those things. So let us be those who see ourselves in Christ first and foremost. If you are in Christ, you're loved. You're declared not guilty. You're adopted into the family of God. You're made clean. Let these realities be true. You're no longer controlled by sin. You're no longer controlled by self. And you no longer have to fear death. The way you live life, the way you live life, the meaning and purpose that you have. Church, we need not let this pandemic define that for us. Yes, living right now means certain realities. We we have to live socially distanced. We have to change rhythm and routine. We may be uh, experiencing financial changes and that affects the way we live. But how are we most seeing ourselves? How are we most making decisions? How are we most choosing what to do with our time and our energy and the emotional state that we're in? Is that defined by being in Christ? Or is it being defined by something else? Church, Romans 8 reminds us, it lifts our gaze, it pulls us out of the the doldrums, it pulls us out of the weariness and the tiredness, because I know we're tired, I know we're weary but it picks us up and puts our gaze on the truest reality that we're in Christ and all that that means. God loves you. God is for you. God's power is at work in you. He is transforming you. He's using this for your good. Oh, I'm so excited to go through Romans 8 because there's so much truth that we need in this time. But let's start here. We're in Christ. So for those of you who follow Jesus, be refreshed and be renewed in Jesus. Let him be what most has your mind and your emotions. Let Jesus be what most impacts your time and your money and your resources. Who you are in Christ, the power of the Spirit of God and the unbreakable love of God for you is far, far greater than any other circumstance. For those of you here this morning and you're listening to the radio, listening to some guy standing in sunglasses, that you've never met and you're, you, you wouldn't profess faith in Jesus. Hey, here's what I want you to know. 
Christ holds out this salvation for you. God invites you to come as you are right now because here's the thing. We don't experience being in Christ because of anything we've done. It's something we receive by faith. It's a gift of grace. It's not because of works. It's not because of our performance. It's not because we cleaned ourselves up enough and God said, okay, well, you're worthy of it now. No, none of us are worthy of it. God's grace meets you in the midst of your sin, no matter what sin it is. And his grace meets you there to forgive you and to transform you. And so this message of salvation is offered to you this morning. It's held out to you this morning. Believe in Jesus. Put your faith in Christ so that you can be in Christ and there will be no condemnation for you. The law of sin and death will be broken in your life and you can live in fellowship with God. Know him as a father who loves you and whose power is at work in your life. This is the promise of the gospel for us all this morning, church. And so may the truths of Romans 8, may the beautiful truths of the gospel shape our hearts and our minds over these next weeks that we can live in these trying and difficult and weary times with a sense of who we are. And from that live in love and joy and peace and victory, no matter our circumstances. And I want to hear you honk and amen. Let's pray.